0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America, NA member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, good friend of the program, Matthew Penny, is in the building. And as we speak, his beautiful, Glorious! Boston Celtics have just moved into first place in the Eastern Conference. What up, Ben? How you
1: feeling? Remember when people wanted to blow it up? We said just slow down a little bit. It, it, like I, I know we're so reactionary, but people want to yeah. trade Jalen Brown. Just a few tweaks here and there. I think Derek Wise helped a lot, but we didn't have to. We didn't have to jump off the ship yet. Just, just give some oh. time, give some patience. First time GM, first time head coach of the, this team. Let's let's slow down. They did. Luckily, we didn't trade away all our assets and blow up the two Js, and hey look at look at here we're in first place look at us
0: and look like at the mid-season point i was like they should like not blow it up like i didn't want to trade jalen jason jalen jason like that was fucking crazy but i thought that they should like move marcus smart potentially
1: yeah it seemed like that That way it seemed like that way for a lot of people somehow it's worked and coexisted with the Derek white move and maybe it's moving josh richardson your your move romeo langford Guys have been better, a little bit more efficient. Just the ball movement is so well that's it's Derek gla- White. It's glaring like the change of what it is. Yeah. Like that just the extra or possession because it became so one on one dependent, ISO dependent, and there just seems to be I also don't know if it was just the tide turned with like the offense, the defense, and eME's sets and guys actually yeah. gelling meshing at the the right time. Not complaining. Whatever it is, it's working.
0: Yeah, and then Derek White gets there. It seems like they play Grant Williams a little bit more now, and he uh, helps shoot, with the shooting. ball movement, yeah, and with shooting, obviously now because Grant can really shoot.
1: And, like and Peyton, it's just a more and rookie, rookie Peyton Pritchard's back too, which is crazy. Like he's on a stretch yeah of hitting three threes a game, and how many the last whatever.
0: It's just like a more well structured offense now. We knew that they could defend. I, I mean, look, a month and a half ago, I was like, I think this team's going to win two playoff series. Like I, I was in uh basically as soon as this little streak started i didn't expect them to be in first place in the eastern conference i'll say that.
1: <laughs> you didn't expect to say maybe three series maybe four i don't know i don't know how crazy it yeah was
0: like look literally my bold prediction was when they were in like the sixth spot in the eastern conference and i was like this team's gonna win two playoff series and people were like you're crazy like no way that's gonna happen and i was like i'm telling you this team's gonna be really <laughs> fucking miserable to match up with in the playoffs and I think that we're closing in on the point where it looks pretty clear that they're going to be really hard to play in the playoffs. So, part of we'll
1: this is it's just have all the takes. That my new take is have all the takes because when I saw Villanova play at Mohegan Sun at the Hall of Fame tournament in like November, I I texted a buddy who went there and said, That's a Final Four team, right? I should have just yeah. tweeted it, and then you can just like dust it off. They were not Final Four team, in the middle of the year, and I I, I text the same person. I'm like, I think I made a mistake. Like this is not this is not it. This is not a Final Four team. But if I had it out there in, in the public sphere, I could have just retweeted it and acted like I was a genius. But it's a long season, the NBA. It's a long season in college. Team hit their strides at at different yeah. times, and we're seeing now the the Blue Bloods and the Celtics or NBA Blue Blood are, are hitting theirs at similar pat- patterns and fashions. <laughs>
0: So let's talk about the blue blood final four today on the show. We're going to be talking mostly college basketball, uh, and mostly the NCAA tournament, which has gotten down to four teams left as John Calipari will tell you, there are four remaining in the NCAA tournament. They are Duke. They are Kansas. They are North Carolina and they are the aforementioned Villanova wildcats. Uh, Both Matt and I are going to be down in New Orleans, and I am very worried about what that city is going to look like. Uh, It survived a Kentucky-Louisville Final Four about 10 years ago. It'll survive uh, Duke-North Carolina uh, Final Four. but
1: It's it's going to be bad. And I mean in a good sense because also, let's set the stage a little bit. This is the first Final Four in like three years, which is like an actual in-person Final Four. And for, yeah. for people that aren't familiar with it, it's not just the games. It's also the national, like, coaching convention. So every coach at every level, for the most part, call it, I don't know, 78% of coaches are there in in town. They get their pass to actually go now and, and be out. It's like, wow, we're back at the Final Four. It's like when you get together with your buddies for, like, a road trip you haven't seen them in two years, like, oh, this is the best. We should do this every six months, start pulling off dates. It, it never works. But when you actually get there, and the last time I was at the Final Four, it was... Kentucky, Louisville, Kansas, and Ohio State, and we had a hotel room. I made a mistake. Our mutual friend made a mistake. We had a hotel on Bourbon Street, which was like, this is great, this is perfect. What yeah. we failed to remember or understand was that the, when people say, "Oh, the party doesn't stop," it, it legitimately like does not stop to like four or five in the morning, and then they mm-hmm. come down the streets with these big like zambonis and spray like lemon mist and like spray down the streets, and three hours later the music's starting again. So I've made the veteran play. I'm staying about three streets away from that. Yeah, that's what I did. Too. I, I like the David and Goliath matchups. When you have four Goliaths, the one good thing is the fan bases travel. And they travel really well. That city's going to be packed. And there's they're just, like, no escape. And there's going to be, like, all these storylines from everywhere. I'm sure the networks are happy. We're happy. And it, it kind of played out. I, I don't know about you. Of the Elite Eight. I had four of those teams losing in the first round in, in Houston, Miami, St. Peter's, and North Carolina, and now it's kind of like, it's brought me back a little bit, but I don't think I had any of these teams in the Final Four either, so if you think we're bad about the drafts, I'm just as bad about college basketball, I could smell the bad decisions brewing in New Orleans, but I'm very, very excited to get there.
0: Yeah. Who did I have in the final four? I did not have Villanova because that was Arizona's region. I did not have Duke because I had Texas Tech in that region. Uh, I think I did have Kansas because I thought that that Midwest region was just like kind of a mess. Yeah, it's in Auburn,
1: right? That's our region. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Um, Good call there. And then I don't think I had North Carolina for sure. Uh, I had North Carolina going out in the second round, I believe to Baylor. So like, it's just nuts. This is a, it's an unexpected final four of blue bloods, which is weird. Like it, it's, it's strange that we feel like we can craft this weird underdog narrative for North Carolina,
1: <laughs> Right.
0: despite the fact that they're fucking North Carolina.
1: North Carolina?
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, They're an eight seed. They have, Okay, like one and a half pros. Let, let's set the over-under at one and a half pros. It's a good line. They play in the NBA.
1: Yeah, I mean, if Brady Manick plays like he did this week, yeah, he's he's a lottery pick. I don't, I don't know if that continues. If if Caleb Love shoots six or 13 from three, as he did in two of the four games, yeah, he'll, he'll make it. But that's yeah. a good line. We did, what, a year ago, the episode on what we thought the best jobs in college basketball were. I think we had North Carolina like two or three, yeah. I think it was like Kentucky, Carolina, Kansas, somewhere there, and somehow yeah. this underdog narrative has happened, which which is okay. And you set up this ultimate rubber match with with Duke for all the marbles during the Coach K farewell tour. It's it's just strange how we've we've gotten here, but it, it fits a season of basketball and college basketball. We're we're still just trying to make sense of everything, and, and we're heading to the and, final and, four.
0: And let's start with Duke because. Duke probably has the over-under is five and a half pros on this team. And it's interesting because we've seen good Paulo Bancaro. I don't think we've seen like standout, outstanding Paulo Bancaro. The only time that he's really dusted that off, I felt like, was in the game against Texas Tech. He was really good in that game. I don't know if he was like, no doubter, top three pick in the draft. Amazing. But he was really good we didn't really get any of the elite level prospects, like the top four guys in this class that had these crazy standout games in big spots. Like Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith both had great games in their opener against 16 and 15 seeds. Right. But like Chet was not amazing Mm -hmm. in the tournament. Uh, Jabari Smith was bad in their game against Miami. Uh, Paulo has had one like really truly good game and then a bunch of like good games, solid games. Uh, Jaden Ivy was a disaster.
1: Mm. Like we'll get there.
0: Disaster. Yeah. Three syllables all across the board against St. Peter's in that game. Uh, oh my God, what a mess was he? Like in it, it, it wasn't even just how poorly he played, it was the body language and stuff. And we'll talk about him in a minute, but like it feels like we outside of maybe even the Ben Matherin performance against TCU, which was genuinely incredible. And he like willed that team to victory. We didn't really get a great Keegan Murray uh, performance. In the NCAA tournament, because he went 21 and nine and out, if I remember correctly. Um, we didn't get a great Jeremy Sohan performance, although I thought he was pretty good in their loss to North Carolina. We didn't get a great Jalen Duran performance. Johnny Davis, even in that game against Colgate where he dropped 25 points, like he took 22 shots to get there. Um, the, like the guy that has probably impressed most, I would say, and this is a guy that you wanted to talk about, was Mark Williams. Like, I think Mark Williams has maybe moved the needle more, which is something that you brought up on the last podcast. Mark Williams has maybe moved the needle more for his draft stock than any player, I think, in the NCAA tournament so far.
1: And isn't part of it just him being Mark Williams, too? Like, I don't think he tried to do anything outside of his comfort zone. This is what it sort of was all year long. And and I was wrong, Ah. and I'll say that a lot. I'm going to say a lot this episode. Last (laughs) year, when he had that double-double stretch at the end of the year when Jalen Johnson was out, I thought that was sort of like a byproduct of nobody can score. Let me put him on my back, do what I can. I didn't think when the hall of the freshman class that came in, I didn't think he'd have the same type of production. Sometimes those guys just like fade back once more guys get in there, sort of like Garrison Brooks did in North Carolina, right? Like we we projected this crazy year, more guys came in, better guards, it, it faded away. He hasn't changed. Like the motor still stays on a million miles per hour at all times. And it's all like the the micro skills and these like little plays where he keeps plays alive on kickouts and he dives yeah. on the floor. He changes ends. He finishes lobs. There's one stretch in that Arkansas game where he's scoring like an and one comes down the other end, strips the ball away. It's a hustle play. He like advances it. Somebody misses it. He comes up behind him and finishes and tips it in. And he did like back-to-back plays like that's an NBA five. He had his way with yeah. Jalen Williams. In my opinion, we'll talk about that. He blocked it at the rim. He powered through him. So I opposed on Twitter at people,
0: the basket. I agree with you totally. He had yeah. his way with him at the basket,
1: and and people are very upset with me when when I said let's just have the conversation. Let's let's not too, get too crazy right now. Is it a conversation now with, with, between us, between scouts, between NBA teams of Jalen Duran or Mark Williams? And and my argument, and you only get so many characters on Twitter, and people go nuts and say you're an idiot, and that's fine. I can embrace that. My point is, yeah. taking Mark Williams at say. 15 to 18 may have more benefit than Jalen Dern at 8. You have a better idea of role, of scalability, of how he's going to fit in an offense. Where you said? How many pros does Duke have right now? Four or five? He's fine being the fifth guy. And it's not like a drop-off for him to to be the first guy like he was last season or pick up the pieces and be like the best defensive player on the team around Paul Carroll, helping A.J. Griffin, protect the rim and Roach gets burnt. I've been even more impressed than I was. We've kind of been on this train for the last three or four weeks, and and now I feel like we've really taken off from the station.
0: Yeah, no, look. It's interesting because I feel like I've been higher on Mark the whole year than what the consensus was. Like, I had him as a top 20 guy. Like, I look back at the last mock draft I did, and I had him at 15. Yeah, uh, I I think it's ago. Like, so me moving him up to 11 or 12, like it's not that big of a move, you know what I mean? It's just sure. like, hey, this is where this guy is. I mean, look, like I have Mark Williams at twelve. I think I have Jalen Duran at nine. I think it's an entirely appropriate conversation to have. I I, I don't know that I would take Mark Williams over Jalen Duran. I don't think I would, if we're being completely honest. But I think it's an appropriate conversation because the level to which Mark Williams is a more solid defender at the basket in terms of his ability to rotate across, contest everything at the rim, use the principle of verticality without fouling. I think there's this idea out there that Jalen Williams is this like potential, I don't even want to say switch defender because I don't think people see that necessarily. But I do think that they see him as like, oh, you can do some like different stuff in ball screens with him. Maybe long term, but I mean, his feet are pretty heavy right now. Yeah like in his i think it's more of a footwork thing than a lack of lateral speed thing like i think that his feet kind of get off kilter and he has to make these like kind of lunging moves at times to kind of get himself back in position we saw that with the fourth foul in their tournament game against um Gonzaga, Gonzaga. where he picks up this foul and drew Timmy. He gets himself like in a bad spot and it's against Timmy because his footwork is absolutely outstanding. And he ends up having to take like this big stride step and like bump him. And it was an obvious foul call and you had to call it. Right. So from a tools perspective, though, we're not talking about a situation here where there's a drastic difference. Right. Like Mark Williams is like seven foot, seven foot one with a seven foot six. I don't know. Wingspan hasn't been measured yet. Officially, I don't think, but you know, I've heard anywhere from seven foot five to seven foot seven. So like, let's go in the middle there, (laughs) I think. Right. Um, Jalen Duran is like six foot 11 with a seven foot five wingspan. Certainly terrific in terms of measurements. Uh, I think Mark Williams is just as explosive in terms of being, uh, maybe just as explosive in terms of quickness off the ground, but not as powerfully explosive uh, in that he doesn't really go through guys necessarily in the same way Jalen Duran does. The thing that worries me a little bit with Mark is the thing where you mentioned that Jalen Williams, you thought like got beasted in that game. I thought Jalen took advantage of him pretty drastically away from the basket. Uh, I think that Mark's positioning More than even his foot, more than like even his like lack of foot speed and everything, I think Mark's positioning could stand to improve in ball screen coverages. I don't think he's all that effective yet playing as a drop coverage defender. But you know what? Like Duke makes it work around him. Uh, Like like I think that that's the reason that I would have Walker Kessler ahead of Mark Williams for National Defensive Player of the Year. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a little. It's a little thing that Mark Williams, I think, can improve in long term. I think Mark Williams is going to be great defensively in the NBA. Um, But like our mutual friend brought up the name Jared Allen with Mark Williams. And I don't think that's wrong. Like, I I see a lot of that with him. He has great hands. He's really effective contesting around the basket. Blocks shots at a really high level. Great rebounder. uh, Great offensive rebounder as well. The tools are there. Like, I I think Mark Williams should be a lottery pick at this point. Uh, Just given what the back end of the lottery looks like, I think we should be considering Mark Williams uh, a lottery pick. And I wanted to kind of ask you this question because I know that you have um, interesting takes about this other guy that uh, are worth exploring a little bit. Is there a case that Mark Williams is Duke's second best prospect?
1: There's a case. There's definitely a case. It's part of the discussion, too. There's Every year, there's a few guys that us folks in draft Twitter just put our arms around, like, how dare you? You can't speak about Jalen Dern that way. You can't speak about A.J. Griffin that way. And and those are two very polarizing guys out there. I see the pros and cons in both. If we're saying Mark Williams could potentially be Jared Allen, I'm fine taking an all-star 12th overall. No issue with that. My, my yeah. kind of throwback to you before we dive into the next player here is, How much does age factor into sort of your slotting? Because what I did get yelled at a lot about was Jalen Dern is two years younger, and he should be a senior in high school. And that still, like, the progression may be different. Like, in two years, what does he look like playing at Duke with four pros? Does that look any different to you? Do you factor that into saying, well, he's three spots ahead, despite Mark Williams being where he is now? It is that leap gonna happen is it inevitable is that why we have keegan murray slotted behind paul care because he is two years older like how does that work for you
0: it's a good question i think for me it does matter to an extent i do think that jalen duran reached his like physical prime just quicker in his life than mark williams did Whereas Mark Williams, I mean, you saw him in high school. I saw him in high school. I uh, saw him multiple times at multiple camps. He was like painfully, dreadfully skinny when he was in high school. Like couldn't do anything it felt like. Couldn't really, like got moved around constantly. Yes. And, and,
1: and as an add-on to that, I actually had the picture pulled up. I have it here for those of you. God, his, yeah. his, front, his front line at IMG Academy. And granted, there's a transfer in here. But just this is the practice every day they did ahead. Jalen Johnson, professional. Lynn Kid, his seven feet tall at Virginia Tech. Brandon Huntley-Haffield, 6'10", 6'11", at, at Tennessee. Yeah. Zach Eady, seven foot four at Purdue. Musa DiYavate, six uh, ten at Michigan, and Mark Williams. So I, I, he was also kind of a situation of iron sharpens iron there. That like you, you saw the piece around him. you talked to coaches. The same thing with Zach Eady. He saw what the work was of Jeremiah Robinson Earl the year before and said, "I, I want to be that guy." So when you put all those guys together, and, and a credit to IMG Academy and their strength and conditioning program. But you're right. It it took time for for Mark to kind of catch up with some of the physicality, too.
0: Yeah. So I think that when you're looking at developmental trajectories, you have to consider not just age, but like the actual progression that they've been on. Right. And in the case of Jalen, like Jalen was six foot eleven, two hundred and forty pounds. What from the time he was 16? Sure. Something like that. Um, He just developed quicker. And. Mark developed, you know, along a more natural, I guess, progression. And it does matter to me that Jalen Duran is two years younger from a polished perspective, because a lot of what I just mentioned with Jalen was polished like footwork and things like that, that I think he needs to clean up. Additionally, what matters to me with Jalen is that he is surrounded by a total and a complete and utter lack of point guard play right at, yeah, Memphis absolutely. it took until like the last six games of the year until Alex Alex Lomax like figured some things out right and made it work. So it matters to me. It's why I would have Jalen Duran right now without having like completely and totally dug back into the tape to like make sure of this. Um, I do want to like really dig into Jalen Duran's tape at some point here. I would have Jalen Duran slightly ahead, but I think they're in like the same conversation Tier. area yeah. during the draft. Uh, and I I don't think that's a crazy question to ask because we're talking about a guy, we're talking about two guys. Mark Williams is a little bit taller, he has just as much length, he's real explosiveness real uh shot blocking capabilities he's a better positional defender I don't think that Jalen Duran's tools like drastically exceed mark Williams's tools do you
1: no and, and Mark Williams it's also like it's a nasty game like ripping rebounds over the top blocking shots running taking off there's never times when like oh he took a few plays off there he might be out of position he might be pulled out and his footwork might be wrong on the perimeter but he's gonna sprint back the down the other way. And I don't want to shortchange Jalen Durant either. He's, he's a very good prospect. I don't want this to totally. to, to come off that way. Th- this but is he, more about Mark Williams being yes, this is pro not Mark, this about Jalen not
0: being a lottery pick.
1: Uh, you, we also get so far ahead of ourselves when Mark Williams hit that one-foot fadeaway jumper like two rounds ago at the end of shot clock. I said, ooh, wonder if that's a thing. And then just in, it's burned in my brain. You see Jalen Durant against Chet kind of like clank off like a mid-range jumper. And it's one shot. We're not saying like, hey, it's happened 25 times. But if you can tap into that; it, it's even more appealing. I, I really like him. He's definitely leapt. Walker Kessler for me. I I, I yeah. texted a scout today. So well, what did I miss? I, I still really like Walker Kessler. I have him as a first round guy. I think Mark Williams is above him for me for sure. Uh, I, it's I was just tools. Just, it's tools yeah, based. I, like, I guess so. Yeah,
0: you, you have to have him ahead. What did the scout say? Uh,
1: similarly, similarly. Just just kind of like it. You have to let out more of the season play. Yeah, I know he's SEC defensive player of the year. People are going to be like, was this whole season, dummy? Like, what What do you? What else do you have to see? But the more you sort of dig back into the tape, too, just more of the physicality, the physical nature that that Mark Williams is, too. And I just think you can plop him into any team. Not like, oh, it doesn't really work in Sacramento. You know what? That's better in Orlando than it would be Houston. Like, not. Nah, that's one of these guys that's draft. You, you throw him on team, put four guys around him, he's going to be fine. He's going to survive.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. To get back to my original question, is there a case for him over AJ Griffin?
1: Uh, there's a case. I'd, I'd say probably not draft wise, but there's definitely a case.
0: So I would definitely take AJ Griffin yeah. ahead. Uh, right. I think the shoe is a conversation, though, the right? It's a, it's
1: a conversation. We're not like hard stop.
0: Yeah. I will say, I don't think AJ Griffin looks as athletic as he was before his injuries. And how much of that is still recovery? How much of that is that he is. Different athletically now. I I don't really know. Like, I I brought up the name not in terms of what he is actually as a prospect, but just in terms of the way that his athleticism now bears itself out within the half court game. I brought up the name Khalil Whitney to Mm. you and our mutual friend during the NCAA tournament, just because it feels like so much of what AJ Griffin has to do in the half court is a load based. Like he has to really load into everything he does in order to get the most out of his explosiveness. And it was the same with Khalil Whitney, the guys that tend to be successful in half court NBA settings are the guys that are a little bit twitchier, a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, w- what's the word I'm looking for here? Like they're, they're, first and second jumps. Just, they get off the floor faster than guys. Right. And I don't think that AJ Griffin has that right now. Is it possible that he's just hurt right now? and is still getting back from the injury? Is it possible that it's different? NBA teams Ah. are really going to have to like dig into this pre-draft and figure out because if he's this level athlete, I think he's more of like a late lottery pick. I don't think he's like in the mix to go five or six. Um, But if he is like, if he has a shot to get back to that level of athleticism, you take him five or six, no question, and you just don't look back because his shooting and his touch is unbelievable at this point. Still,
1: right. So, so that's my next point is that he's still, despite all this stuff, he's still shooting fifty percent for the field, forty six percent from three, and and when he does shoot that way, it's such a difference maker. He had a nasty step back early in that Texas Tech game, and then being that threat, Texas Tech had to close out so hard, and it's like they ran that elevator play where they close out hard to him. Paulo and Mark Williams slept, and they just kind of could do what they want. Like, when he's that type of guy, there, there's true value into it. Him being a semi-non-athlete is is weird to me. Like, he went baseline. One play and got, like, blocked at the rim. Uh, he doesn't really get true separation off the dribble. And he, he's, like, slow. Then defensively, slow to rotate. He's bail- he bailed out, was bailed out once when he, he used his length to, like, block a guy that, that clearly had a step on him. So I don't know. I, I can't like shake it. He had another awkward like one-on-one on the break where he thought, oh, he's going to jump and try to like, throw at the rim. It's like a hero step until like, he turned around and passed it backwards. It's like, I don't what, – what what are you doing? But he, he has really soft touch, and, and you keep him a threat offensively when when he cuts and gets in a lane, and he's able to use his size to still extend like he was cut off last game. and kind of spun around and just shot over the top of people. I love it when he keeps it simple, just catch and shoot. One one pump fake one dribble. When he starts trying to get into his bag, like there's just not that that separation or burst off there yeah. either. So I'm, I'm hoping it's injury, uh, but I don't but I don't know. It, it's been a long time to say, hey, it's it's still the ankle or, or whatever it may be.
0: Yeah, it, it's that's the thing. It has been a while now, and look, he did have the knee injury in the preseason. Like maybe that set him back, and he hasn't been able to like do the strength based rehab work to like bring that back. Right? I don't know. I, I just don't know is kind of where I'm at with AJ Griffin. And if we find out in the pre-draft process that like, you know, that there are concerns about what he looks like long-term, then I do think that this is a real conversation between him and Mark Williams on who is Duke's number two prospect. We just spent 25 minutes talking about Duke though. Uh, do you have any other strong opinions you want to get off your chest before we move on? Cause I have one more uh, and I'll give you the floor.
1: My my one strong opinion is we do have to give Paolo Mankara his due. He, he looked like point, point forward Paolo at, at times out there against Texas Tech. Yeah. When he threw that alley-oop little lob to Mark Williams, he was making plays off the dribble. A little bit less of the hesitation off, off ball reversals. He still had one early. Last game against Arkansas when it got to him. It was beautiful basketball. It was like three ball reversals. It got to him. He's like, I'm going to dribble. And then he dribbled and then like got back to me. shot it again. Just shoot the first one. We, we've said it a million times. So when he's clicking and not overthinking, he looked really, really good up there.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, the thing that I want to bring up is that I've been hard on coach K throughout the year. Uh, I don't think he's been awesome. I don't think he's put this team in position to succeed throughout the regular season at the level that it was possible that it could have, uh, I've said throughout the season, I thought this was by far the most talented team in college basketball who had the highest ceiling in college basketball and they weren't reaching it. And I felt that they weren't reaching it in part because of some of the things that Coach K was doing defensively, uh, some of the things Coach K was doing in terms of letting the guards just kind of have free reign to do what they want when they aren't good enough decision makers to really be allowed to do that. They stuck with Jeremy Roach throughout the year. Jeremy Roach looks like a potential like 2023 second-round pick, something like that. Sure. Looks like a guy that could end up in the NBA at one point. Um, they've really started to run the offense through Paulo Bancaro more. He's dialed up his own defense twice now in the last two games that has yeah. been critical to their success, completely flummoxed the other team in terms of the way that they run offense. I think we really have to give Coach K his props. I think he's been outstanding In this tournament uh, so far, just in terms of adjusting to the way the defense is playing Duke and making adjustments uh, on uh, his team's behalf to put them in better positions to succeed.
1: Yeah, wild. When they had the, the coach K night where North Carolina beat their socks off. And I remember him saying they did everything about like five national championships, right? And the crowd was chanting, six, six. We're like, where, man? Like, what are you, what are you talking You just got boat raced at, at home by North Carolina. Like, this team's going to be out in the, the first round or two. But they actually bounced back. It, it took a little bit longer than we thought. And they've been really good. They're they're in the Final Four and, and set up with a, a nice situation scenario for him to go out on top. And, yeah, credit where it's due. I was never going to take shots at Coach K. That's why it's your show and, <laughs> and not mine. Uh, but he's righted the ship.
0: Yeah, no, he's done a really good job. Let's take a quick commercial break, and we're going to talk about uh, the other three Final Four teams because they are interesting in their own right, uh, as well as some other prospect stuff. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get... Their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN, I change my location, and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a gold mine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all gonna get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24 seven. Game theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash Theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord and it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. okay we are back here at the game theory podcast and we want to talk about some of the other teams that made the final four Villanova is in the final four you mentioned earlier that you know you thought this was a final four team when you saw the Mohegan Sun
1: yeah I
0: thought they looked great like by the time January rolled around uh, I thought that they'd kind of righted the ship with their defense their guard play has been outstanding since that point unfortunately justin moore is going to miss the final four and like probably most of next year it feels like due to the fact that he just tore his achilles it's a real shame uh it sucks that he's now gonna have to go through what is one of the most difficult rehabs in all of sports uh and now villanova is in the final four and they're gonna have to rely on jermaine samuels and colin gillespie and brandon slater and all of the inherent intrinsic uh Villanova-ness of it all that uh, they instill these players with.
1: Just jump stops, shot fakes, do whatever you can, just keep going until they go and and lean in. And and those guys are unreal. Like the player development staff there is unreal. I mean, Jermaine Samuels is is from Boston. He he played around here. Uh, I watched him a lot. I never thought that this would be the player Jermaine Samuels turned out to be. And I mean, that's a compliment. Just completely bought into the Villanova way and system. He had 16 points and 10 rebounds in that last game. And the one kind of prospecty question, and because this is a, a draft show more or less, right? I've gotten this question a lot. Is Colin Gillespie an NBA player?
0: I think he plays NBA games. I don't know if he's like an NBA difference maker, but no, I, I, I wouldn't say difference up,
1: maker. But is is he on a yeah. roster? Is he probably undrafted free agent? Right? Like, let's not yeah. go go too nuts here, but. I see him as a summer league guy. You see if you get to train a camp, what you can do, and sometimes those those are hits. And sometimes we get too crazy and say, "Well, Villanova is really good. Like he's the engine behind the whole thing. How is he not an NBA player?" And I don't, the good thing is, people have kind of changed their their direction of how they're hitting you. It's not why is he a lottery pick, which like two years ago that was like a lot of like why is not Luka Garza a top ten pick? Well, oh let yeah, me, like- let, let me let me count the ways, but. He's still yeah. on a roster. He's averaging five points per game, three rebounds, not changing the world, but Ken. Why is, why is he a, not Peyton
0: fight. Pritchard going first round?
1: You yeah. And someone actually sure asked me that, that exact question. Be. It's just, well, Peyton Pritchard's a significantly better shooter.
0: Yeah, I think so. I, I think Peyton yeah, yeah, is just has more shit to him off the bounce. Like his creativity off the bounce, his handle is just much better. Um But Colin is a great floor leader. I think he actually can switch a little bit defensively, like within that Uh, scheme.
1: A little. He doesn't get... scheme, though. Scheme. You're absolutely right. That's what it is. It's within the Villanova scheme. You put him on an island. I don't know how great I feel about that.
0: Yeah, like he doesn't get obliterated out there whenever he gets like mismatched onto a four. Like if it's a five, he might get put in the basket. But I don't know. Like fours, like he can kind of manage them a little bit. Uh, I, I think he's... Got a shot, yeah. Like if he's on a two-way next year, that wouldn't surprise me at all by any stretch of the imagination.
1: Pre tournament, where did he kind of check out on your board? He, was he in the top one hundred? Was he knocking on the door? Yeah. Was he yeah.
0: Where do I have him? I have him roughly. Um, not
1: not trying to put you on the spot.
0: Yeah, I have him at eighty six uh coming into the tournament. that probably be about where he is until we know what guys are staying and going uh, in terms of the draft, like who enters the draft, who does not enter the draft. Uh, I have Jermaine Samuels, by the way, at, I think I have him somewhere in here. I think I have him at like 90, 95. I don't Hmm. know. I can't look through it right now. Um, But yeah, like a guy that I I think is kind of interesting, like super switchable defensively has developed at least a little bit of a semblance of a shot. Like he has a real chance, I think.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, People just want to point that and say, well, TJ McConnell did it. Well, Peyton Pritchard did it. It's like, okay, I get it. You're doing like the just here's another white guard. Why why can't they succeed to similar fashion? Uh, I, I've liked him. I, I still have my concerns as I think you do, but I, it wouldn't like blow me away if somehow he's on a team next year.
0: Yeah, no. I, or he I mean, goes, look, to, or goes to Europe the,
1: and right. crushes and, and makes yeah. a jillion dollars over 20 years.
0: Yeah, totally. Um I think that's all I've got on Villanova. Uh, we'll see how they look against Kansas. I hope that Justin Moore is able to get back and you know play in the 2023-24 season. Uh, as we talk here, Kevin McCuller has declared his NBA draft eligibility, but will maintain his collegiate eligibility. I'm a Kevin McCuller fan. I'm going to the mat for Kevin McCuller as a long-term potential NBA player. I don't know that it'll happen for sure, but great defender I think that he's really hampered this year by the uh, ankle injuries and I'm interested to see where it goes
1: with we can that. initiate a little bit of offense too it felt like he got to his yep. spots in that last tournament game draws fouls had a nice spin and score in the second half of it had a tough pull up in the lane I, this is just like sort of our new normal too like everyone's going to declare and keep their eligibility like some of them pop it up I'm like I don't like why are you doing this i i I can tell you what what it is right like not even even trying to be like a a hard l and say like i know where everyone's getting drafted but some of the guys that pop up it's like yeah dude you're 75th like just save your time i I, you're not gonna magically be like 31st and and we were way off we're gonna be wrong a lot but some of those guys like i don't see him becoming like the, the 20th pick overall in the draft getting guaranteed money this year
0: yeah like it's funny so like trayvon brazil we were talking about him earlier uh before we started recording uh big forward out of missouri he has declared for the draft right i think that kid's really good i think he has like first round upside next year if he finds the right spot and ends up in the right situation uh he's an incredible shot blocker he's a late bloomer he was like a six foot one junior in high school who his gone up to be like a six foot nine forward now who's all sorts of twitchy has great length can still shoot it a little bit really needs to hone in on that needs to hone in on his feel for the game and everything and just generally like mature into his frame because he just grew eight inches two years ago right right? Mm -hmm. uh that kid declared for the draft and i'm just like no just stay in the portal go find your landing spot maybe you're trying to just get like some notoriety from being in the NBA draft pool, but like, I think you can do that with the portal now. So, uh, I, w- if I was like a kid like that, where there are probably teams that are genuinely interested, like, I've talked to a couple that are like, oh man, like, we'd love to get him into camp. Yeah. And, like, no, I've, I've heard that,
1: I've heard the name. I've had similar conversations, but nobody said, hey, this yeah. is like a, a top 30 guy that you guys are way off on, like, throw him up there. No
0: question. Yeah. No question. So, like, that's a kid where I'm just like, go back to school. I think you legitimately could be a first round pick uh, if things go right for you over the next two years. Do that. So, like, it's we're in this world where we're going to have 250 kids to clear for the draft, and we just have to, you know, kind of work through it. Um, Okay. Let's talk about Kansas because I want to talk about Ochai Agbaji. Yes. What is going on with Ochai?
1: I I don't I don't have answers. It, it's it's strange. It's a weird time to regress. So against Providence, I, I thought he was good. To, let's let's do some positives. I thought he was good on defense. So he was a disruptor. He had three blocks in the first half. He closed out hard. He rotated rotated well away from the ball. But like the shooting, like he's he's just taking like sort of wild shots at times. He he took yeah. one three like kicking his legs out. Another one was like a, a quick one in transition. He's just not helping his percentage. He's shooting like twenty five percent from three in March over 10 games where yeah, he went back to school and we were excited because like the shot was there plus the slashing plus the defense plus the body. He hasn't looked like the big 12 player of the year lottery guy that we were all jacked up bunks and said, Hey, yeah. this guy should go 12th. And then today against Miami it, it, again, it's just weird. Like hit a few pull-ups, but for his size and strength, when he gets to the paint, he's not like a strong enough finisher, Like he sort of bails yeah, out. Like, he doesn't try to like Duncan guys all the time. Uh, he, he,
0: I think there's... he's a, I think the problem is he's a load leaper. So yes. like those plays where he gets, you know, bill self draws up an incredible like backdoor cut for him. And he really explodes off at of two feet and then throws down like, he did crazy that yeah, on the
1: left wing. Yep. Yeah.
0: Like that's the kind of stuff where he looks super impressive, <clears> but <throat> then you look and you go like, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> um, <laughs> Why can't you finish at the basket? I feel like he needs to work on his craft and footwork uh, off of one foot. And it's been well publicized that you know, he worked with Phil Beckner last year pre-draft. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to confirm that he's going to go work for Phil with Phil Beckner for pre-draft this year. I don't know. But if he does, I think that's the stuff that Phil and um, those guys down in Arizona will really clean up.
1: He had another weird one where he missed a layup and went out of bounds and then ran back in and hit like a spot three. And he he scored a lot of his points today, and that's why the box score can be deceiving. I think he had 20 points. A lot of it, they're up like 15, 18. Sure. Self calls a timeout. They run that backdoor play. He hits two threes late. The percentages matter, man. Like when, when he's an older guy that that I've rallied for pretty strongly throughout the year, yeah. you, this is not the time to dip. It doesn't have to be we'll talk about other draft guys who had like bad performance or two it's like yeah it's a little bit of a blip when there's five or six of them and you've gone five or 14 in, in two of your tournament games and the big 12 tournament he was good he was bad he was terrible on senior night it's like you got to smooth out you got to be a sure thing when you're that much older
0: well here's the thing matt i still can't get him lower than 14
1: i I know i like i, I can't either like, like i i can't either and that's why I, I think i have him right there at 14 or 15 I, I bumped him down i had him as high as 10 he never cracked the top 10 yeah. i had him as high as 10 in like january bumped him down a few spots i'm like i i don't know how much lower i can go in here
0: yeah like I, I i don't think i can get i think that genuinely the lowest i could get him is 16. Like, he's, like, right in that mix with, like, Tari yeah, and, i a, I'm, and Ty I'm looking, Ty Washington four, and Malachi Branham and Mark Williams. Right, but, like, right. I don't know, man.
1: It's, I mean, I, it's a weird I, I have Branham jumping him, but I have him 14. I have Mark Williams, 15, Tari and 16, Ty Ty, 17. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh The next guy here is Christian Brown. Yes. And he has played, interestingly, Throughout the tournament, they've almost used him more as like a passer and playmaker at times, mm-hmm. it feels like where they've just kind of let Remy Martin kind of take over the offense more and more as he's gotten more and more comfortable uh, and as they've needed more and more shot creation, especially in that game uh, against Creighton and against um, who they play in the Providence as well Yeah. yeah. Uh, in the sweet 16 like they just needed the shot making and they needed the shot creation and you know Oshai and Christian Brown are better out in transition or better as like players off the catch in the half court um it, it's interesting that they're using like Christian Brown to like play make off the pass a little bit more I think in the tournament
1: they've played this sort of transition two-man game with ho- him and Oshai which like one of them will take off the other one advance it the other one fall behind he, he scores in transition he had a big three that sent him his timeout uh, there's a turnover that led to a steal and to an Oshai dunk late in the game. I-, I love Christian Brown's energy. I love the edge that he plays with. When we talk about Remy Martin, and, and he's kind of coming on here, I-, I do have to get on my soapbox for a sec. It's been turned into this feel-good story, and I'm happy for him. I- I'm glad it clicked. He was Big 12 preseason player of the year, and next game, barring something crazy, he's going to score his 2,000th college point. So I don't know if that's just like embarrassment of, of riches and he finally is like hit the way Kansas basketball wants to play and good for him. But this is sort of like the player, not only us, I mean, this is the player that clearly the big 12 coaches expected to be there all all season. And and you're glad he's like this, this secret weapon, but is it really that secret is my question to you.
0: (sighs) Yes, because there hasn't been a point this year up until the last like six games within Kansas's offense, which asks its guards to do very specific things where it's clicked. And part of that is the defensive side, like he just isn't good enough defensively. By the way, do you remember when Remy Martin like got all defense team votes in the Pac 12?
1: <laughs> you're you're cut off from talking about any Pac 12 defense awards. After Anyeka didn't win the award, you're, you're cut off.
0: Yeah, no. We're uh, uh there, well, there were some you're interesting cut off from ones you're cut
1: off from Pac-12 defense and the turn you've taken on block versus charge. You can't talk about those either. Let let's let's oh, stay on Remy. Let's talk. No, 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 no. Stay on task. Let's talk Remy right now.
0: Oh no! Come on. Oh, Matthew. Uh, yeah. Look, like I think that it's interesting because this is a kind of scheme where you would think that Remy looks pretty good, right? Like well spaced floor. Outside of David McCormick, they play three perimeter players with Jalen Wilson, Ochai Baji, Christian Brown next to him. And he's just kind of got this open space to be able to create, like, especially in that mid, like, 16-foot range, right? right? And that's where he's making a killing right now. And I'm glad he's – like, it's hard for me to be anything but happy for these guys that, like, return to school and then go through adversity and then – like struggle through it and then come out on the other side. Like we'll talk about Caleb love here in a second, but like, like Caleb love has been hit or miss throughout the course of the year. Caleb love has a great, has had a great tournament and I'm super happy for him. It's just, it's hard for me to be anything other than that. Like Remy Martin is not a real NBA prospect. uh, In my opinion, Uh, there might be some teams that think differently. I've not talked to them, but I'm not willing to rule it out. Uh, I don't think Remy Martin's a real prospect, but I'm super glad that he's getting the success. I'm glad he's getting this moment. I'm glad he's about to drop two thousand points. I'm glad that he's you know the catalyst for Kansas yeah. reaching the final four. It's great.
1: I'm not mad. Yeah, it's great. Great write your own story, finish your own stuff. Arizona State didn't really work out there toward the end, and now you're in final four. That's that's why guys go in the transfer portal and try to level up what, what school they end up at because they want to be in situations like this where they're trying to cut down nets in New Orleans in a couple days. Yeah.
0: No, I agree. Um, okay, anyone else on Kansas? We need to talk about. I feel like I don't really have any other points no. on the Jayhawks. Uh, finally, North Carolina. The Caleb Love story has been the uh, dominant one. Uh, I would say, especially that game uh, against who did they play in
1: this? Well, he hit six. He hit six threes twice.
0: Who, who did they play in the Sweet 16? Because that was the crazy one. That was like the, oh, shit, this is really happening. He is absolutely done. Was it
1: UCLA, game? that game?
0: It was UCLA. Yes.
1: He's the reason it was they beat UCLA. And he was pointing yeah. to the bench saying, I, I got you. I told you. I told you I was doing this. And I was texting with a, I don't say fellow media person. I don't consider myself a media person. But I was texting with a media person. I said, man, I, I thought UCLA had it there. I thought with kind of. And Jaime Hawkins was not 100%, but sort of foolish, healthiest roster. I said, I thought UCLA was going to get over the hump. And the person said to me, North Carolina just hit the shots that UCLA did last tournament. It's just the karma has leveled back off. I mean, do you remember all the daggers during UCLA's run last year were so improbable? And and now it's just North Carolina. It was Caleb Love knocking down six three-pointers. It was That was even Brady Mannix's best game, but he had three threes in that game. And every time it started to get closer, they, they pulled away with one of those deep, deep range threes
0: yeah and this is a fun north carolina team like brady manic is a fun story like he looks like he drives you know like a pickup truck to and from basketball True farms practice. yeah <laughs> you know he looks like the most farm oh, college man. basketball player in like history since larry bird uh if,
1: if that guy walks in the men's league though you're like oh he's gonna give us 30 you, you can't oh, God, like that, not, not be yeah. a hooper like him um david roddy I'm trying to think my old men's league team from the tournament. I'll I'll get there, but I'll I'll give you
0: one not not from the tournament, but Noah Carter, who's in the transfer portal (laughs) right now from Northern Iowa. Um, Real like men's league, six foot six, two hundred and forty pound, like constantly moving, trying to get leverage on a guy, like. Trying to seal him away from the post. Super fundamental. Like just all that stuff.
1: Let, let's 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 add Baylor Shireman too. That like when I was first watching yeah. them like mens like kill you. Just like you don't pick up. I was screaming at the TV during that province game. Like close out. It doesn't matter. If he's 29 feet. He's going to shoot and, and hit it. But for Brady Manic, he does turn twenty four in September. He was at Oklahoma. But his run right now, uh, had them losing the first round. Wrong for me. Twenty eight points against Marquette. 10 for 15 from the field, 5 for 10 from 3. Baylor, where he gets chucked for a, a flagrant 2, but he still had 26 points, 8 for 13 from the field, 4 for 8 from 3. UCLA, we talked about, in St. Peter's, 19 points, 7 for 11 from the field, 4 for 6 from 3. Him spacing out and, and pulling guys away has helped Armando Baycott be an absolute beast in the post. He had 20-20 to today. Helps Caleb Love a little bit off the ball. Helps R.J. Davis have more space. when he When he plays like this, it just... It's such a difference maker in what Carolina is trying to do. They've been way better than I thought they would clearly by my terrible prediction. And it's, it set up a, a nice little grudge match here.
0: The Pelicans just beat the Lakers after the Lakers <laughs> were up 20 at halftime, uh, <laughs> to nice. take, take over the eight spot Ooh. or no, take over the nine spot. I'm sorry. Uh, in the play in tournament. <laughs> We're, uh, we're at a point where the Lakers now are one game ahead of San Antonio uh, for getting into the play-in tournament.
1: This is where we make the, the Lakers series winning time joke, but I'm not going to do that.
0: Oh my God, what a mess. What an absolute, absolute mess um, the Los Angeles Lakers are. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, the, the fun one to me too is Armando Baycott. Cause like he's a really great college player. I have no idea how that's going to work in the NBA. I don't yes. think it is going to work really in the NBA. But he's so effective as a college player that like I don't want rule to like rule it out. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm okay with that. I, mean, I don't, I don't want to rule it out either. I, I don't. I don't know how much game he has really like outside the paint. But he's been he's been super productive. He, he's worth noting. Worth mentioning. But I, I don't think anything he does. the rebound always translates, but I don't think anything yeah. screams like, hey, this is a, a late first big.
0: And he's a little bit longer than like what you think in terms of like his wingspan. Like it feels like he gets to shots that he shouldn't as a shot blocker. Now, I think he's gotten in better shape as well. Yeah, Like, yes. you know, it, throughout, Like I think he was like very heavy when he was in high school, if I remember correctly. Right.
1: Er, earlier, yeah, but then he, yeah, just like early in high school. prep school, yeah. yeah.
0: And like, I think that even throughout his time at North Carolina, he's gotten much in like much better shape and stronger throughout his like body, it feels like. So, I don't know, maybe, but like, it's a backup center if it works. Uh, but he's a great college player and he dropped 2020 today against St. Peters. Uh, shout yeah. out St. Peters, what a great story, but yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and arguably AC player of the year. I don't, I don't think he won, but he averaged 12.6 rebounds, which is pretty insane after 7.8 the year before. So he's he's made that progression. Can, can, we, t- can we do like one minute or two minutes on St. Peter's real quick?
0: I will give you the floor on St. Peter's. I, I just want like I I to start where the,
1: this whole St. Peter's run, it felt like feel good movie that you don't even believe at some point like do you remember Little Giants when Little Giants beat the Cowboys and then run on the NXT or Puerto Rico you're like that team would never win like that would never happen we get it dude like feel good movie Back to the Icebox O'Shea she did it great but it's, it's like not true and I'm gonna go 90s for one more for you too it was also sort of like do you remember Rookie of the Year when Henry Rowan Gartner flips yes. on the ball and he's like throwing gas like 105 miles per hour? And, of course, the Cubs want to sign a 12-year-old with, with 104 is, miles per hour. Is
0: Doug Adder, right? our Henry Rowan Gartner here?
1: Thank you. You're, you're getting there with me. We're on the same wavelength. Do you remember in the – uh, we're so far gone. Who's Brickman? I don't know. Who's I don't know. Just bear with Ryan
0: Whalen, the uh, pitching coach.
1: <laughs> I love Ryan Whalen. So, no, no, pitching coach, yes. <laughs> Not the, like the crappy wannabe boyfriend stepdad. But Doug right. Eddard, he does the Buffalo Wild Wings ad. He's all over the place. Henry Rodriguez does the Pepsi ad. And then, like, you know, it, it's a World Series, right? I think they're playing for the pennant and they lose the fastball and he's got to throw underhand. I felt today was like the underhand throw. It was yeah. like you, you, you blink twice. They're down 25. Uh, The magic just kind of ran out a little bit. And North Carolina is the first team that I I think looked like a a high major team against them. They used their physicality. They set huge screens. The guards came off. Uh, Baycott had the 2020 game. They were knocking down threes. But a credit to everything they ran. And the the sets that St. Peter's did, that little wheel action where they just wore you out and then hit Eddard. And and he went and did his thing. Uh, Incredible. Just that, yeah, the clock struck midnight. The, The dream is over. But when I saw the emotion on those kids... At the end of the game, it, it was one of those corny sort of internet, like, don't cry because it's over Smile because it happened. Like, you're going to be able to tell yeah. that story in bars for, like, the rest of your life. Like, oh, you went to St. Peter's? Yeah, man, we made the Elite Eight. Went it's this crazy run. We beat Kentucky. We beat Purdue. Like, yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah, another round for the boys over here. It's, it's, it's just yeah. that's the special part of March that this stuff never goes away.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I almost want to shift to Purdue now.
1: Yeah, because, well, because they stifled them. They did. They they clogged the lane. Yeah,
0: there. I, I that, that was incredibly impressive from Shaheen Holloway that they figured out how to manage those bigs like just completely crowded them constantly. I wish that maybe Purdue would have made a few more adjustments. Uh, let's let's say that. Uh, I think that I think there were probably some things to be done there, such, such as like not playing Zach Eady at all in that game. Uh, that was that was not a game for Zach Eady.
1: Uh, could have gone both ways though, right? Could have been like the cheat code where like when you play varsity basketball sure. in high school and like the one division one kid walks in the gym, is like six foot nine, he's playing a team against six foot two guys like okay, well we're we're in trouble. Like there was a chance he could have been the cheat code and had a twenty two and twenty game. But early we saw like that was not gonna happen.
0: Yeah, completely. Like I think that you have to give it a shot. I like I look, I think that they their mistake throughout the year, their cardinal sin was not playing Trepion Williams more. Uh, not starting Trevion Williams throughout the course of the year. But in the case of Edie, I mean, you knew within his first two stints that it wasn't working. It wasn't working the way that they wanted it to work uh, in the way that he needed to dominate. And by the time that his first stint in the second half ended, he needed to not play anymore. Like he needed to not be in the game. Like if you wanted a backup for Trevion Williams, you play Caleb first at the five, right. not yeah. Zach Eady at the five. Mm-hmm. Um, It was a problem. It was a significant problem for them. Like he got obliterated away from the basket. Uh, He St. Peter's knew exactly what to run. They ran multiple fun flare actions for Doug Adder and for one of their other guards. Like they ran that sweet backdoor lob play, like, Shaheen was in his bag, just drawing up awesome plays to take advantage of their lack of foot speed uh, in the front court out there, and deserves credit for that. Deserves a lot of props. Uh, when it worked for Purdue was when they ran a two-man game between Trevion Williams and Jaden Ivy. Yeah, yeah, that's what they should have been running all year. Like, let's just be let's be real about it right now. Like that team had Sasha Stefanovic, one of the best shooters in the Big Ten. They had Mason Gillis. They had the other Thompson <gasps> brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a couple of other wings that like are reasonably good enough to play at least. Like Brandon Newman can play. Ethan Morton, right? yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Ethan Morton, shout out Ethan Morton,
1: Pittsburgh yeah,
0: had to. Uh, <laughs> but you have the wings to be able to play a one-five high ball screen action, and you have Trevion Williams, who is elite, is a short role big man who can make plays passing off of kickouts or who can put the ball on the ground, who can put his ass into a guy and then really uh, post up and create plays that way if you need the outlet. Or if a team doesn't blitz, Jaden Ivy is an open lane. Like you're, you're not clogging the lane as much when Trevion Williams is out there because you have to respect his passing ability. You have to play up on him because if you don't, he's going to eat up space on that short yeah. roll, and then he's going to draw the defense in. And he's going to be able to hit a kick out. It was a real problem that Purdue did not play a one-five high ball screen offense throughout the whole year, and it came back to them. I think
1: it did. I I didn't like Trevion Williams that game. I, I really didn't like him in the second half. I didn't like some of his decision making stuff and. I also didn't like him in the post-game press conference saying like, well, not everybody bought in. And it's like, dude, come on. Like uh, maybe that's the case. That stuff you keep in house. He's like, you don't want to go into NBA interviews. And like, you already have that backed up against you. If you're going to be Travion Williams, probably second round pick, right? Probably
0: a second round pick. If he gets trapped, probably a second
1: round pick. Okay. So if you walk in, that's the last guy that's, that's making the team or, or he's a two way, this and that. And
0: and to be clear, Say what he said in the post game press conference.
1: I don't. Know. What was the actual quote?
0: It it was something along the lines of, you know, our coaching staff told us that we have to treat this like the best team we've played in the tournament so far, and I don't think everyone did that.
1: Yeah, today. not great. You just can't. Like, even if that's the case, I I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that forward facing, especially if you're the the tenth or the twelfth man. I'm. I'm not. Have accountability. Call it out in the locker room. Don't do that. It's, it's not going to work in the NBA. I promise you. Like <laughs> Jimmy Butler is about to fight our expolstra. You don't have to like, no, no, no. Fight me right here. Like you don't, you don't want that. You don't want that smoke. And especially when I didn't like the two man game with him and Ivy, like we're, we're I know we're advocating for, they should have done that. I don't think it really worked in the second half either. And I don't, oh, I think it
0: did. You don't agree.
1: Ah, uh, like a little, but not really. It, it more so I was turned off by, I thought it was a great opportunity when, that's why they play the games. It's not on paper. It lined up. It was like, ooh, this is a run for Jay Nivey to go on and like really be the guy and really catapult himself into that true like top two, three conversation. Uh, I thought the body language and the ball watching after hitting the entry passes and bobbled passes and throwing his hands up, he just kind of went. Yeah. Jay Nivey went the other direction for me, and I, I didn't anticipate that. I thought he forced it a lot in the half court. He's four for 12. He had six turnovers, the most he had all year. Uh, I did like some of the laser passes in between the the pouts were, were really good, but I just expected more of him at, at this time of year.
0: His body uh, body language is horrible in that game. It
1: was yeah. horrible,
0: I thought. Uh, he threw one particularly where I think that he thought Trevion Williams was going to roll all Keep the way going. to the rim, yep. Yep. and he short-rolled instead because I think that what happened, I don't know this for sure, I think that what happened was Trevion read that the help defender was cr- uh, crashing in. So he read the short roll as the smart move so that he wouldn't get led into a double. But Jaden made the pass into essentially the help defender gets stolen. Then he throws his hands up, like, you know, motioning to Trevion, like he screwed up. And it's just not what you can do. Like you're supposed to be a top five pick. You're supposed to be, you know, regardless of whether or not you're the oldest guy on the team, you're supposed to lead by example, just by nature of being uh, the most talented player on the team. And, you know, it's disappointing. I would say that that ended up being the case that we saw too many of those moments from him. And it's something that does come up. Like you watch the tape of him it happens more than you would like to see when things aren't going his way, uh, I would say.
1: And more so, uh, again, credit to Shaheen Holloway, credit to St. Peter's. They did this against Ty Washington, Kentucky. They did this against Jaden Ivey and Purdue. They ran into a wall of, of North Carolina that, that ran out a little bit there. They had good game plans, and it clearly frustrated them to the point where their body language stinks. were questioning like their leadership skills. Uh, So let's let's not forget the peacocks here either.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Do you want to talk about Chet?
1: Oh, we have to, we have to, we have to.
0: Okay, so Chet Holmgren played a bad game where he had 11 points, 14 rebounds, and two blocks. (laughs)
1: Yes, (laughs) (laughs) that was was my closing statement. But I'm glad you opened with it.
0: (laughs) Um, he didn't play great. Like, let's just be—he was bad. He was like didn't play great against Arkansas. Um, he struggled in the first half. I thought in the second half, he actually started to get going. He got taken off the court by the officials. All I thought both of the first two fouls that he had in the first half before he got auto benched by Mark few. Mm -hmm. I thought that both of those fouls were genuine fouls. I think he thought that both of those fouls were genuine fouls because they showed a close up of his face. And he didn't look mad, like, at the officials. He looked mad at himself, it looked like. Like, he was like, I screwed that up. That was on me. The last three in the second half were egregiously bad. Just abysmal. Like, there's no... That officiating crew should be embarrassed by its
1: performance (laughs) in that game. Well, they called. I thought they
0: were disgracefully bad.
1: Like Jalen Williams to that same exact like drive through your body, like where am I supposed to go move to Paul Mancaro? And they called it on him or, or something else. Like, where was that play the game before?
0: Yep. Yeah. It was it was egregious. It it was as bad in officiating performance as I can remember uh in the NCAA tournament uh, against the team. So and people will come back and be like, Yeah, Gonzaga, they only had you know one foul called right. against them outside of Chet whereas Arkansas had like seven or eight called. You know why that is? Because Arkansas plays super aggressively. Like, that's just the way it goes. And that's good. Like, Arkansas, I literally wrote about it before the game. Like, I think that part of their goal was to try and get Chet Holmgren in foul trouble, and they succeeded. Like, that's what they want to do. Yeah, But it doesn't excuse for (laughs) officiating because Chet actually didn't do a bad job in that game in the second half.
1: He didn't, and you know why this is a nightmare fuel for me is because I'm, I'm two weeks away from running grassroots events. If you think the officiating is poor in the NCAA tournament, wait wait till I get to show you what's next because these guys are, are coaching our guys, and I I agree. I, I thought it was a little off kilter, but to, to get to Chet here for a second. If you were looking for warning signs or justifications for not having him number one, this is a great game for it. They're they're flashing yep. like he, he, here's the problems. Here's what it is. He was the center of that Arkansas game plan to attack him and get it into foul trouble. And and I'll credit Eric Musselman for this too. He's a former NBA coach. His post game speech against New Mexico State, they talked about defending Teddy Allen like he did with Kobe Bryant. Not saying Teddy Allen's Kobe Bryant. Everyone relax. Yeah. But he said for scores, what you have to do is you got to keep him guessing. So maybe for like a for like five minutes, you, you force a middle. The next five, you send a second defender. The third five, you force him left. So you're always kind of like, well, how am I reacting to this? It was similar to Chet where it's like, we're going to go right at him. He's going to pick up a couple fouls, and it changes the game. He subbed out. Arkansas immediately goes to run in the first half. The second half, I thought Chet was a lot more decisive after he scored a bucket, and then he was a better interior passer. Offensively, he has to do more when he goes off the bounce and just one dribble spin back lead in or one dribble spin back one foot kick out, it's become very predictable. And then I want him more inside the three point line. There's times where he's just relegated to a trail man, which is okay. If you're hitting threes, if you're not, it's just like uh, another guy out there defensively, the the go, go gadget arms affect the game. Even when he's not trying to with someone like the hesitations he has and the, the lateness that he gets there. Uh, so, yeah, the offense, to, to close this, it, it took a dip. At then the year, it did. Uh, it's not debatable. Outside of that Georgia State game, I, I didn't think offensively he seemed like himself. And I, it wasn't a good game. Uh, despite being so frail and unable to do anything, not enough of a factor, he had 11 points, 14 rebounds, two blocks. So think about that. That's a bad game. Well, I, I'll be the first to say it. I have first my In board. What, what? That bad was like
0: game. 22 minutes or something?
1: like 20, That's him getting overpowered and playing 23 minutes. So... For the naysayers, pointing out the negatives, which is very, very fair. I I didn't hear many people talking about still piecing some numbers together in a bad game. And and I took some of that as a positive of, if this is bad, how can we make bad just okay? And and maybe that's 15, 12, and, and three blocks, and you're not getting to foul trouble.
0: What I think that the tournament proved above all for Chet Holmgren is how important the shot is for him. He really has to shoot it at a very high level. Um, He has to be a 40% three-point shooter, I think, to get the most effectiveness out of his ability off the bounce because he's just not going to have that juice off the bounce. He needs guys to really close out on him hard, and he needs to be a confident three-point shooter. Confidence is not something Chet Holmgren lacks. I weirdly think he got a little bit gun-shy on the jumper at the end oh, you.
1: not really. You're, you're absolutely right.
0: Yeah. I just don't think that he felt as good about the jumper late in the year. I think it'll come. There's no reason to think Chet Holmgren is not going to shoot at some point. Um, as long as the jumper translates, and as long as the medical comes back clear on him uh, in terms of the way that his body mechanics work, I think, th- I mean, look, there's no way I'm going to have him lower than two on my board. I, I would venture there's a good shot I have him at number one.
1: Yeah. Still one okay. but but I get it. We're clouded. <laughs> a little clouded with doubt.
0: Okay. Anything else you want to talk about tournament wise?
1: <sighs> do we do the Jalen Williams thing for five minutes? Yeah, minutes? let's do the Jalen Williams thing. So we, we I had some love Jalen Williams. We, yeah, we had some banter back and forth last night. And uh yeah. I basically said I, I don't I don't like this. I, I get it. Uh I get the charge thing and it, it's just become such a celebrated thing where we're we're talking about how he wears butt pads and falls over and he's all padding like you're not that doesn't work in the nba it doesn't someone might yell at me and say it does try to take a charge in the lane the nba like right above the restricted area you are gonna be a poster like every single time you're not you're not taking 60 charges in in 30 games the nba it's not i like his angles i like some of the passing i like how he adjusts around the rim uh great penny jinx i texted he's not really an athlete and then he had like a tomahawk dunk, like and one or apollo like that one's for you yeah. it, it, but it, it's sort of like the ochre thing more of a, a low jumper than he is um just an explosive like in the lane pump fake Thought he navigated traffic well uh but also I, I thought that he showed that lack of size against chet which you can say about a lot of people but blocked the rim when you close out to him hard he's afraid to kind of take that three mark williams did the same thing where he's like i don't I don't think I'm going to do that. That, that throws him off. Uh, so I, I know you're higher. So I, I just want to give you the floor here to, to give me your sell on Jalen Williams of Arkansas.
0: So I think I would have him as a top 40 guy. And the reason for that is I think he's the smartest player I've seen in college basketball <coughs> this season. I don't think I've seen anyone with higher basketball IQ than him. He is absolutely terrific in terms of the way that he rotates defensively, even beyond the charges. He's always there. He's always available. He's always big and he's strong enough to hold his ground contesting while moving backward, right? Like not necessarily fouling, but staying strong, staying straight up, providing an impediment for opposing players at the rim. Uh, I think he is absolutely outstanding defensively. I think he's, pretty okay on the perimeter defensively to be honest
1: okay Uh,
0: he's better in drop coverage because he's so smart and so positionally savvy and so innately like intelligent in terms of his just knowledge defensively but i think that you can like run like hard hedges and you can run like flat like coverages with him i don't think you're gonna want to switch him all that often But I think that you can make it work, and he's so good at like dropping his hips and using angles to angle guys into defenders that you might be able to get away with it from time to time. Like The key in the NBA, he's going to get locked onto someone and strung out on the perimeter against a guard eventually. It just happens. Guards are too good at it otherwise. I think he's good enough at using his body to guide those guys into other defenders, into the help that he can make it work. He's an elite-level rebounder. Like, there's no argument potentially otherwise. He is an elite-level defensive rebounder, probably one of the three or four best in this class. Offensively is where I have my concerns. He's not a great finisher at the basket. He has really no. good body control, really interesting touch, I think, but he's just not explosive. Like, he is not long, and he is very ground-bound outside of that one dunk that he had against Paul yeah, Benchmo, right? Right. Uh, every guy who's six foot ten in two hundred and forty pounds and a real NBA draft prospect probably has a dunk like that on their tape. The problem yeah. is, Jalen Williams's true shooting percentage is fifty three point seven percent. He only shoots, I think, like fifty two percent from two point range. Uh, that that's the real worry here. Like, can he be efficient enough as a scorer? on the interior to make defenders pay in order to respect his passing ability. He's an elite level passer for a big, he's an elite level playmaker. You can run all sorts of dribble handoffs with him. He can reject dribble handoffs and make reads to cross corner kickouts, to dump offs, whatever you're looking for. Right. Yeah. The shot is going to be essential for him.
1: Oh Uh, yeah. It's like 26. If he
0: can't shoot, if he can't shoot, he is probably a borderline NBA player. If he can shoot, he might be a low end starter.
1: Ooh, well, it's it, a lot of us come down to the passing too, and I, I made the joke that he's uh, Alperin Shangun with butt pads on because it, you also look at. I, I didn't realize, <laughs> I didn't realize it was this close. Shangoon from three this year is twenty six for one hundred and one. Very small sample, twenty six percent from three. Jalen Williams total in, in two years at Arkansas from the college lines twenty four for ninety four, which is twenty five point six percent. So there there are kind of like those overlaps and the, the limited verticality. Shangoon's a, a better passer to me and does a little bit more, but yeah, like I, I have the same issue with both of them. Like you're gonna have to be able to defend, which which they've shown a little bit. Sengoon not not as much, but when you don't have the verticality, what else can make up for that at the next level? Like the when he's late to rotate, I think you said he's a good rotational defender. I think so too. But when he's a step late, he's not gonna beat you to the rim and then have a block either. So it's piecing all these, it's piecing all these little things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If he's a step late, he's gone. That's a hundred percent. Right. But he's not ever a step late. Really is the thing. Like, I don't know. I tend to look, this is my weak spot in the draft. Right. I tend to buy into these guys that have like super high feel for the game.
1: Yeah. And feel matters, like just know how to NBA. play basketball. Yeah.
0: I think he just really knows how to play basketball at a high level. Um, he might be a backup center, and that's why I think forty. But like, do I think he's a better prospect than Zeke Naji, who I had ranked like thirty mm. sixth in that class? I do, to be honest. I, I think he's a better prospect. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I think I liked Zeke a little bit more than that. I think I had him like late, late first, early, earlier second. Jalen Williams, if he declared, I'd probably have about four. I'd have to look. I probably like forty five ish or or so. So it's yeah, could be a thing.
0: Well, Matthew, I would love to talk to you more about basketball in the NCAA tournament, but we talked for like an hour and, you know, five minutes or whatever, an hour and 10 minutes. And my internet decided to die. So now we're recording this closing on a hotspot that I've created (laughs) in my internet. The Australian internet, big media complex has failed me yet again for the umpteenth time. Uh, shout out to the lovely people at Telstra
1: you're being censored you're too pro duke now it's the anti-dukies who are just blasting their laser beams over to australia to shut down your internet your face froze like a- absolutely froze and I-, I felt very alone just staring at the screen hoping that this wasn't a live broadcast just me looking at myself you know like sometimes on the radio there's like dead air and that's like a cardinal sin because i didn't have a song right ready to go it was, it was a lot of dead air but I- i'm glad i can can see you we-, we talked enough about college basketball i think and yeah. we're uh we're gonna have conversations in person which is gonna be really strange for for us in four days and I, I was telling my wife that I've been with my wife for 14 15 years I never did like the online dating uh, I was never like a world of Warcraft like put on the headphones guy like meet your your partner they you play with so this is this is like a new frontier that we actually get to meet each other in person
0: There we go. This is beautiful. Uh, It's funny. I I imagine that what happened is that Tate Frazier heard us say nice things about (laughs) Coach K and then hit like the execute order 66 to the Australian government and just (laughs) finished it. And it was like, no, this can't happen. We
1: we had a a, way back in the day where where I grew up, there's a restaurant called Christos and they had this famous Greek salad and their uh their campaign their tv their ads was they never want to give away the recipe so somebody be away, about to give away the recipe and the the guy would go to the light say oh no you don't he hit the power and that, that was it so i felt like this is a little bit of like a, a Christo <laughs> salad recipe for me too i was prepared
0: <laughs> the power got hit uh it, it's it's, the, it's
1: gonna hit uh, again we're, we're, we're dashing we're, we're, the game, yeah. game
0: theory studios here
1: all right, oh perfect. my
0: god in my beautiful lovely house uh we're, we're losing internet
1: connection again Qu- you're, you're losing go. like real time uh, we gotta close close the door close the door hold the door <laughs> hold the door hold the door close it
0: thank you all for listening please remember rate review subscribe do everything you can to support the show uh, i think i'm back again finally uh, we will if be we're, back we're next out of week. here yeah. <laughs> Penny and I will be recording from New Orleans at some point. Uh until next time we will talk soon. Bye.